You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I am here. Aaron is here. And this show is presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them that we told you to call. Uh, There were no more Wizards trades yesterday before the deadline. Hence, the takeaway for me, as we discussed yesterday when Tommy was on, is that they traded Porter and they traded Morris for the money. I mean, do they actually think they can still make the playoffs? I'm a Bobby Portis fan. I think he'll help, but the Wizards are not going to make the playoffs this year. And this is how, you know, uh, the conversation, more likely than not, went with Ted and the rest of the front office, you know, on Wednesday and perhaps even early yesterday. It was, get me under the luxury tax threshold. I do not want to pay the luxury tax. And please get me to the playoffs so I can make some money this year. For those that don't know, for, for organizations like the Wizards, the playoff, uh, getting to the playoffs and having two additional home games and sometimes three, four, or five additional home games is profit margin. If not, they're either losing money or breaking even. And the Wizards have been in that boat as a franchise for a long time. I remember Ted telling uh, Tommy and me uh, several years ago that they needed to make the playoffs because he's losing money. And from a pure profit and, and loss standpoint, you know, pure revenues minus costs, especially the salaries they pay, if they can't get you know, 20,000 into the arena two, three, four more times than the 41 that are scheduled, they don't make money. So trust me, he wants to make the playoffs at any cost. Now, you know, the cheap narrative on Ted uh, is a bit of an exaggeration for me. I mean, he is spending a ton of money on Scott Brooks. Um, the, the Wizards are also right now, based on the two moves they made, They are in better shape next year salary cap-wise. There is a way with Jabari Parker's contract, Dwight Howard's contract, even some maneuvering with Jan Mahinmi's contract that the Wizards could end up with $30 plus in salary cap room next uh, this coming offseason. And that could be enough to be a player in what is a loaded free agency market. So... I'll give them a little benefit of the doubt that they were thinking beyond this year, the luxury tax, um, and thinking a little bit into the future. But if they were really thinking into the future, they would have traded Ariza and Green also. Um, but look, they still they still have current – they don't have a lot of players under contract. you know. And I was thinking about keeping Green and Ariza. It's probably because they're going to try to keep them – next year and beyond. You know, they they clearly think the two of them can help them make a run this year. And again, I don't think they're going to make a run this year. I don't think they're going to be in the playoffs this year. Have you watched them recently on defense? They're among, if not the worst defensive team in the NBA. And they didn't add anything to help them on that front in Parker or Portis. I do like Bobby Portis. I liked him a lot coming out of Arkansas. I think and thought he would be a good NBA player. It's been mixed results so far with a bad team in Chicago. Uh, but anyway, they've got other players they got to think about. They got Sadoransky, they got Bryant, they've got, you know, Ariza and Green potentially. I want three things. I'll wrap this up. 
with three things that I want from the Wizards moving forward. All right? Three things. One, I want them to play Troy Brown Jr. the rest of the way. Can we get more information, more more data, Ted? More data on whether or not this guy is a player? He didn't play at all in the last two games. Zero minutes from Troy Brown. Can we get him 10 to 15 a night? Can we find out what we have? Uh, at least get a look at, tw- you know, I-, I know he's young, and I know it's about 20, 21, 20, 22, et cetera, but then he'll be out- off contract. He won't be under contract at that point. But could it be already obvious that Ernie picked another dud? He's averaging, listen to this, Troy Brown Jr. is averaging the fewest minutes per game of any player picked in the top 23 in the first round. And it's not even close. Go look up the minutes of the top 23 players in the draft. He was, what was he, 17 overall? I can't even remember what he was. He was in the top 23. I looked at this earlier. I can't even remember what number he was. I think he was 17. Um, He's averaging the fewest minutes per game of any player picked in the top 23 in the draft. And it's not close. If he can't play on this team right now, a team that isn't going anywhere, what does it say? Play him. That's number one. I want to see Troy Brown play the rest of the way. Two, I want the Wizards to be a player in free agency in 2019. Be relevant. Try harder. Think bigger. Ted, Ernie, if Ernie's still there. Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving. How about Kemba Walker? Go get Kemba Walker. He and Beal together. How about Kemba Walker and Bradley Beal together next year and for the next few years? That's Lillard and McCollum. I mean, that's your Portland backcourt. Think bigger, though. Inject your franchise with the thought that you are a legitimate franchise and a player when it comes to free agency. And stop talking about sports betting in your arena during Wizards games and start building a team that those customers will actually want to bet on, Ted. All right? We've heard more from him on sports gambling than we've heard from him on his basketball team. That's part of my second thing that I want. I want us to I want the Wizards to be relevant. Think big. Kevin Durant's not coming here. Kawhi Leonard's not coming here. I get it. Go after Kemba Walker. Lastly, the third thing I want from the Wizards, and I know that this is very likely impossible, but we thought the same thing about Gilbert Arenas, and we thought the same thing about Richard Lewis. And Ernie made it happen. Uh, The third thing I want from the Wizards after Troy Brown playing, trying to become relevant in free agency, trying to think bigger and go after something big in free agency, the last thing I want is I want them to do their best to dump John Wall and his contract on somebody else. I know it's a long shot, but remember how Ernie duped Otis Smith in the Gilbert Arenas deal? He got the better of New Orleans when he dealt Lewis in his contract, which was the second biggest in the NBA at that point to New Orleans for Ariza and Okafor. It might be totally impossible, given the amount of money left on Wall's contract. You might need three to four to maybe five contracts back to match his. But you know what? You need players next year. You don't have enough players under contract right now. And if you can then deal those players shortly thereafter, I just think it's a path that must be explored. 
it's probably out of the question because of the money and obviously because of the injuries to Wall. There may not be any market for Wall, but it didn't appear at the time that there should have been any market for Gill and there shouldn't have been any market for Lewis. And somehow Ernie was able to dump those contracts. I Look, there might be somebody that would take a flyer on Wall that he can come back in 2020 and beyond you know, and resemble the player that he was. It's a long shot. It should be explored. That's the last thing I want. I want them to explore the dumping John Wall option. Um, one last thought, and none of this takes into consideration uh, the three things that I wanted. Uh, this last thought is that none of this takes into consideration the possibility. I don't know if anybody's talked about this, but I was thinking about this as I was thinking about the Wizards not making any moves yesterday. What if Bradley Beal wants to be traded? What if he asks for a trade? What if he wants out and he wants to go to a contender? Yeah, you don't have to deal him. He's under contract. Um, but those three things that I want, the first one doesn't matter. The second one, you could, you could potentially be an even bigger player in free agency. Um, but Bradley Beal, I don't think is going to go anywhere. Uh, on that note, did you see, Aaron, the NBA All-Star Draft last night on TV on TNT? I didn't watch it. I, I did see that it was happening, though. Adeta Kumbo and LeBron were the two team yes. captains making the picks. It was actually very entertaining. Really? It was really entertaining. It's probably the best thing that isn't a game, and I'll get to a game from last night. Um, it, it'll be better than the game itself. It was, by the way, I, I bring this up and I segue into it because Bradley Beal was the last pick. Out of the 24 players, he was the last pick, and he went to Team LeBron as the last pick. And remember when it wasn't televised last year, one right. of the concerns was they didn't want to embarrass the players that were picked last? Right. I would hope that Beal is so thrilled to be an all-star and among the 24 best players in the game right now that it wouldn't matter that much to him. Or it puts a chip on his shoulder. That's the other thing. Perhaps. Um, but, but this is the thing. Televising it... If you're going to do the draft, you had to televise it. Yes. That was the whole purpose of the draft. Yeah, last year it was so stupid that they did it in private. You know, Curry and, and LeBron last year. It was actually entertaining. Part of what makes it truly entertaining is Ernie and Kenny and Shaq and Barkley. Right. You know, as part of the half-hour uh, show. But um, anyway, th- what was pretty funny is there was a, a line. LeBron took Anthony Davis on his team. And then he uh, started talking about, you know, Anthony Davis. And Giannis uh, interrupted him and said, you're tampering. <laughs> you're tampering <laughs> right now. But it was actually, I thought it was entertaining. For those of you that watch, you may, may or may not have felt the same way. Um, as a follow-up to, you know, now the insufferable trade period ending, I'm really glad that Davis didn't get traded to the Lakers. And the Pelicans say they are going to play him the rest of the year when he's ready to go for the integrity of the game. I like that. I think that's the right answer. As you should do. Um, You know, this comes a day after Kevin Durant told the media to grow up when he was complaining like a petulant child. And a day or two after LeBron went off on the injustice of Harrison Barnes being traded during a game. Durant, you know, we had this conversation yesterday, so I'm being repetitive to a certain point, but Durant, who signs one-year deals and rants uh, about people and then rants about people asking him about his future is so backwards when you think about it. He signs one year deals and then 
goes off on the media for asking him about his future or not talking about his future. He should be so thrilled that so many people care about where he's going to play next year. And if he's not thrilled about it, sign a longer-term deal. Just stop with the year-to-year drama. He's got to stop with these occasional tantrums. Not because they make him look overly sensitive, which he is, but because they make him look stupid. You know, that was a stupid rant. It was nonsensical. He put himself into that. He continues to put himself into that position, playing for a high-profile team and signing one-year deals. And LeBron, who has traded anybody at any time and would have traded Harrison Barnes at halftime had Harrison Barnes been on his team and brought back Anthony Davis. If Harrison Barnes had been on the Lakers and Harrison Barnes was something the Pelicans wanted for Anthony Davis, LeBron would have shipped him out in the second quarter, would have pulled him out of the game himself and said, sorry, pal, you're traded. Harrison Barnes, I looked this up. I knew it was a lot. He made over $24 million or is making over $24 million this year for playing basketball. Not a bad gig. The other night during the game in which he was playing and he got traded, He earned nearly $300,000 for a couple of hours of work. I think he can handle it. LeBron and KD need to stop. They are the ones chiefly responsible for the hysteria that surrounds free agency every year and the trade deadline theatrics, which are insufferable each year. They both need thicker skin. Uh, Meantime, the games resumed last night, and the Lakers-Celtics game was great. I, I understand, and I, you know, I'm doing what I told you I shouldn't do yesterday, which is spend too much time on the Wizards in the NBA. But I watched the Lakers Celtics second half. Lakers were down by 18, 19 in that game. It was a great game. Um, it was better than any, any of the trade deadline uh, drama for me, anyway. I like games. Um, this was a game in which both teams were actually interested in winning than wondering about where they'd be the next day, which was nice to see over the last week. Rajon Rondo hit the game winner at the buzzer to beat the Lakers in Boston. To beat the Celtics. To, to beat the Celtics in Boston, yeah. excuse me, for the Lakers to beat the Celtics in Boston. It was a crazy play. Ingram had a shot blocked. The ball got knocked around. Rondo ended up with it, and he buried a shot at the buzzer after Kyrie had given the Celtics the lead on the other end. It's a great basketball game. Um, I bring that up because I have always been a massive Rondo fan. And the Lakers, because of him and LeBron, are interesting to me, even without Anthony Davis. Now, they do not have a chance to beat the Golden State Warriors in a best-of-seven series. Nobody does. But if the Lakers get to the playoffs, and that's an if right now. They're on the outside looking in right now. I think they're a game, game and a half out. But if they get into the playoffs and they play anybody else but the Warriors, they will have a chance against anybody else. And they'll have a chance because they have the two highest IQ players in the NBA on the same team, in LeBron James and Rajon Rondo. They're on the same team with some other good players. You know, Tyson Chandler, a winning player. Kuzma, Ingram, they've got, I like Josh Hart. He's not playing that much anymore. I like Mo Wagner. He's not, he, he didn't get much run. Um, but if the Lakers get into the playoffs, to, to watch a series involving... James and Rondo, LeBron and Rondo on the same team, will be very interesting to basketball purists. Because those of you that really are into this sport, you know 
that these are two of, if not the two smartest, highest IQ basketball players in the league, and they're on the same team. And these playoff games come down to, very often, high IQ. Experience, high IQ basketball. Uh, They're an interesting team, even without Anthony Davis. Not good enough to beat the Warriors, no chance. But if you're Denver, or you're Oklahoma City, or you're Portland, do you really want to see LeBron and the Lakers in the first round? Probably not. Um, All right, I'm done with the NBA and basketball. Let me move to the Redskins for a moment. Uh, Julie Donaldson reported from NBC Sports Washington, reported that the Redskins and Adrian Peterson are working on a new deal. Um, This is, uh, you know, with everything that's been going on, this has sort of been forgotten about. Like all the things that the Redskins are going to start doing here as we approach things like the first date that you can apply a franchise tag on a player, which comes up next week, I believe. I don't think they're going to use the franchise tag um, as an aside. But when I read the tweet from Julie and, and JP, I think retweeted Julie's report that the Redskins and Adrian Peterson are, are working on trying to put together a new deal for Adrian Peterson uh, to come back. I had an immediate reaction. And my reaction was, why? Why would Adrian Peterson want to come back to the Redskins? And two, why would I get excited as a Redskins fan to have Adrian Peterson back? I'm curious, is anybody excited about this? Now, I put out a poll right before the show started, and overwhelmingly so far, most of you want Adrian Peterson back. I'm on the record for backing the blow-it-up plan for 2019, taking all the pain in 2019, cut Alex Smith, take the cap hit now, cut Josh Norman, cut cut, uh, uh, Brown, uh, cut Foster, uh, Mason Foster, that is, um, cut Zach Brown, cut all the players that are are teed up to be released, like Vernon Davis, that will provide significant cap savings. I would trade Kerrigan. I'd even trade Trent Williams for draft picks, for future draft picks. I had Char- Charlie Casserly on the show on Wednesday. Um, listen to that interview if you haven't listened to it so far. Uh, I, I just like Charlie. I think Charlie's a really good guest, and he's really candid uh, in his discussion about a lot of things. I love some of the things that he said about the Patriots, but I, I posed the nuclear option to Charlie and he had a great answer. He said, you know, Kevin, he said, when you're working in television, it makes sense. When you're on the inside, it really is a hard thing. It's very complex. He's like, look at Cleveland. When they started down this road, how many of those people are left? And that's a really fair point. But, you know, the Redskins have had the same people for a while now. And it would appear as if none of them seem to be on the verge of losing their jobs. But I get his point, overall point. But I would do it. And he said it should absolutely be considered. A former general manager in the National Football League, a Super Bowl winning general manager, said this is the kind of thing you have to consider when you're in the Redskins position. In particular, what would drive that and what is driving it for me is the fact that they do not have a quarterback. You know, if Alex Smith hadn't gotten injured and you'd gone 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7 and seven and either just missed the playoffs or, you know, made it uh, to, as a wild card team and lost in the first round, th- this would not be a conversation. But because of the loss of the quarterback and the prospects of, of you know, potentially either Colt McCoy or Josh Johnson being your starting quarterback in 2019 and 
Of course, the salary cap hit that Alex Smith, um, you know, will count uh, count for in 2019 is is what drives this conversation, and it should be considered. The team won't consider it. We know why. They think they're close. But I would do it. I would take the pain in 19. I would add. I'd add the draft picks, and then at the end of 2019, I'd get rid of Bruce. I'd get rid of Jay. I'd get rid of everybody else and try to find a legitimate general manager. Give him the autonomy to build it from scratch, including the hiring of a new coach and staff. So that's my preference. So because of that preference, I would not re-sign Adrian Peterson. I would not. I want Geis to be my guy from the jump. Now, if he's not ready because of the injury and because of the infection that came after the surgery, you know what? Let me go out and find a young guy in the fifth round. Redskins have been terrible at drafting running backs. You know, they've missed on so many over the years, you know, in in different rounds. But find a young guy. I mean, Philip Lindsay was an undrafted free agent. If you're going to, again, this is my preference. This isn't the team's, obviously the team isn't thinking this way. And I'll get to that in a moment. But my preference would be, let's blow it up. I, I'm going to play Geis if he's ready, and once he is ready, he's going to be my guy, and I'm going to draft another young guy, and I'm going to use Chris Thompson because I really like him, and I'm going to keep Chris Thompson. Unless somebody wants to trade me a second for Chris Thompson, and then I might trade him too. I'd be into trading anybody that brings back real opportunity for young players that will help me down the road. Now, for Adrian Peterson, I, I don't know why you would bring him back if you're thinking long-term. His performance against Tennessee was an all-timer. I loved the way he played. Don't get me wrong. He was probably the single biggest reason they won seven games and that they were competitive in most of their games was Adrian Peterson. But I'm not worrying about 2019. I'm worrying about beyond. Um, So why are they talking to Adrian Peterson about bringing him back? Well, we know why. They want to bring him back because they believe they are close. The we're close, you know, delusion is going to delay the inevitable. Or maybe it won't because maybe they'll win six or seven games or eight games in 2019 with a young quarterback on the roster, with a rookie quarterback on the roster. And this time next year, they'll be thinking that 2020, that they're really close now. So we could be a year from now in another, we're close. You know, they could still be having the same conversation. We're really close. We won seven games, and look at how well Daniel Jones came around. And he's really developing, and Geis was good, and man, John Allen was a monster. And you know what? All of those things would actually lead to them being legitimately closer than they are right now. But the we're close thing right now is frustrating. It's amazing to me that they just don't see the reality of a team that has a quarterback situation that for now, as we speak today, is bleak. They have a need for not one, two, or three starters. They have a need for two to three to maybe four to five on each side of the ball. I mean, let's take the most optimistic outlook on this team, on the roster. If you start on offense, the most optimistic you could be is they need three starters. They need a starting guard. They need a starting wide receiver, at least one if not two. I'll go with one, being very optimistic here. And they need a starting quarterback. 
So they need three starters on offense, and in, which includes the most important position on the team. That's optimistic because it presumes that Geis and Morgan Moses and Jordan Reed and either Crowder or Quinn takes over the slot position at, at, at receiver. There's a lot of optimism there to say that they only need three starters on offense. On defense, though, they need two to three linebackers, with one of them being a true pass rusher. They need a corner. They need two safeties. All right, that's four minimum, more like five defensive starters they need. Two to three linebackers. One of them's got to be a pass rusher. They've got to get, finally, a pass rusher on this football team. A real pass rusher. They're not easy to find. I understand that. They need a corner. They need two safeties. So that is four minimum on defense, more like five. When you add it up, it's like seven to eight new starters. That's the optimistic view, that you need seven to eight new starters minimum. That's not counting on others that you haven't really necessarily been able to count on. You know, I'm not counting Jordan Reed or tight end. I'm saying, hey, Jordan Reed's healthy, and we know that that is probably not going to happen. Seven to eight minimum new starters out of 22. That's not close. By definition, that's not close. That's not close, and Adrian Peterson isn't the key to a playoff run in 2019. He was great this year. The Tennessee game, man, he tried to put the whole team on his back to keep them alive for a postseason berth. Not a better game played the entire season by any player on the team than Adrian Peterson's game in Nashville on that next-to-last weekend of the season. But at 33 years old, going on 34, thank you so much for what you gave us last year. You are a true pro, but we're moving on. I'm not paying Adrian Peterson 4 or 5 or $6 million, even if it's for one year. I'm not. I'm not in good enough shape salary cap-wise. That's got to go elsewhere. It has to go elsewhere. And the other side of this is if you're Adrian Peterson. Now, Cooley and I debated this late in the season as to what his market would really be. I don't know that there's going to be this significant market for Adrian Peterson. And you know what doesn't help any running back? is Sean McVay's use of Todd Gurley in the postseason. It, it, it's, it's so minimized, the elite running back. Now, it didn't win a Super Bowl, that strategy. It lost in the Super Bowl game. But I, I just, Adrian, there's got to be a team that is closer to contending with an offense that better suits Adrian Peterson. Remember, this was not a real... This wasn't the the line him up in an I formation, give him the ball between the tackles, let him bounce. This wasn't the best running game for him. And they've got Bill Callahan back. Now maybe Kevin O'Connell sees it and he's going to change something about it. I don't know. There's got to be a better situation for Adrian Peterson, doesn't there? Than Washington? I, I don't I don't know that there would be a better, like an obvious better money situation, but there's got to be a better situation. Remember, Adrian Peterson would come back knowing that Darius Geis, if he's healthy, is going to be the guy that they really rely on or want to start to see. Um, anyway, I would not re-sign Adrian Peterson, but that goes hand in hand with my 
um, current feeling, which is not going to be executed by the team, and that is that they should take all the pain in 2019, punt on the 2019 season, and that be it. I, I, that, that's what I would do now. I don't see them being close. I think most of you understand that they're really not close. I mean, and if they're close, what are they close to? 500? 9 and 7? A wild card? For how much longer? Um, anyway, that poll that I put out um, right before the show started, 80% of you say that you do want Adrian Peterson back. Now, some of the comments are, you know, at what price? And I understand that. I didn't put that into the question. Um, but that's a key part of this too. Like, I, I, if you tell me that I can get him on a one-year deal for two and a half million bucks with some incentives, I, but his market's got to be bigger than that, doesn't it? Um, anyway, I don't think it's an overwhelming market for Adrian Peterson, uh, about to turn 34 years old, but I think somebody would pay him four, five, somewhere around there. Uh, for a season, maybe a little bit more if you've got a ton of cap space and you have a need for a running back. But anyway, um, that's it uh, on Adrian Peterson. By the way, you had mentioned to me that this new football league is about to start. Yeah, the AAF. And which one is that? This is Charlie Ebersol's. (laughs) The XFL, which is Vince McMahon's, it starts next year. And that's that's the one with the DC team. That's got a D.C. team. And that has apparently Pep Hamilton as the head coach, okay. as it was reported yesterday. And where are they going to play? The Audi Field, the United Stadium. Okay, so right across the river from Nat Stadium. Right across yeah. the street, yeah, not yeah, even right across, across the river. Yeah. Um, so I haven't been to that new stadium. It's yet. actually really nice. So uh, that's the XFL. That yes. doesn't start till next year. The AA, what is it? The, the AAFL? AAF. The AAF. Is this the league that Josh Johnson was going to yes, be a part this, of? Yes, he is not playing in it right now because he's you know negotiated with the Redskins, but the San Diego fleet still own his rights. But he's not going to play for them. As of now, he's well, He not. can't play for them. Right, because he's trying to get the contract. He's now, gonna, at this point, the Redskins if, are more likely than not going to pay exactly. him more than... The, what, what's the San Diego ver, uh, team called? The fleet. The fleet. They're going to pay him more than the fleet's paying him, Correct. I would imagine. Yes. Where are these teams in the AAF? Uh, we, there's eight teams. There's uh, Atlanta, Memphis, Orlando, and Birmingham in the Eastern Conference, and San Diego, Arizona, Salt Lake, and San Antonio in the Western Conference. Wow. <laughs> there's... First of all, there's not one northern city. Which I, uh, makes I mean, sense Salt for Lake. A f- for, a fu- for a February uh, start? Makes yeah. sense. And the reason this was brought up uh, prior to the recording of today's show by Aaron is Aaron said that he's going to wager on the games this weekend. I, I was like, yeah, you know what? For fun, I might try to throw down a little bit on uh, one of the games. Is uh, I'm looking for the, the lines on these games. Where are they? Uh, five times has it. <laughs> huh? Five times has it. Yeah, I'm gonna pull. I'm gonna see if I got them on my one of my sites right now. Um, there's th- some interesting names in in the uh, in the league. Give me some interesting names. Uh, okay, just look going down the quarterback list. You have well, Josh Johnson was supposed to be there. Uh, Aaron Murray, Garrett Gilbert, Christian Hackenberg, uh, Zach Mettenberger, Scott Tolzien, B.J. Daniels, Stephen Morris. You know, a lot of these guys who are decent in college, and the coaching list is wild. The, the Orlando team's coached by Spurrier. Now that that would be fun. Yeah, that, that would certainly be fun. I can't find point spreads for the games this weekend. Oh, I can I can pull it up it's for not, you. They're not on any either one of my two sites that I use. Uh, Five times has it. 
Here's a story on how odds makers set lines for a new league that hasn't played a game yet. Um, you know, so what was interesting about when you said you're going to bet it this weekend, I do remember betting the USFL. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, I was in college. The USFL launched. It had Herschel Walker in the league. It had Doug Flutie in the league. It had Kelvin Bryant in the league. Washington had a f- franchise, the mm-hmm. Federals, and they posted lines on them. Yep. So if they're posting lines on them, we were betting them in college. I got the lines right here. <laughs> Uh, who, who, what is anybody bigger than a three or four point? There must be a quarterback that's made a difference yeah, well, here. It's interesting because actually the one team that I really like is the biggest underdog in it because it's the team with Aaron Murray, and I've always been an Aaron Murray fan. The Georgia Aaron Murray. Yeah, the Georgia Aaron Murray. The Atlanta Legends are five-point underdogs to the Orlando Apollos. Mm. I actually like the Atlanta Legends there. Okay, there you go. There Aaron's you go. going to be betting some football this weekend that's right. in the first non-NFL betting opportunity of the year. Uh, all right, let me tell you about Window Nation. Harley, Aaron, two of the best entrepreneurs I know. Window Nation is the best company in their space, and I'd urge you to give them a chance if you've been thinking about new windows. I've done it twice in the last 10 years, and it worked out for me. Right now, smart shoppers know the best deals are always in the off season. Buy a snowblower or snow boots in the summer, and you'll save tons of money. If you wait until late in the fall, you're going to pay full price. Well, Window Nation knows this too, and they're offering an amazing deal currently. That deal is buy two windows, get two free with 0% financing, 0% interest for five full years. Buy four windows, get four free. Buy eight, get eight free. There is no limit. Plus, if you call by the end of the weekend, by Sunday evening, if you purchase a house full of windows, Window Nation will pay your heating bill until your new windows are installed. You'll save thousands. Window Nation, by the way, when they come out to your home for a free estimate, uh, it's a free estimate. So they'll walk around your house. They'll tell you which windows you need to replace and which ones you don't. They'll give you a price, and you can either do it or not do it. There's no risk to having them out to give you a free estimate. If you move forward with Window Nation, you should know that they are very, very sensitive to not being disruptive when they install windows. They will do it room by room, not not the total house. They'll go room by room, and as they're doing that, they're paying your heating bills. Um, Window Nation needs to keep the factory busy, their installers busy during the slower months. That's why this offer exists. Call now. 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Get two free windows for every two you buy. There is no limit. 0% financing for five full years. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And tell them that I sent you. Frank Robinson uh, passed away yesterday at the age of 83. And I'll save you know a, a real lengthy conversation for Tuesday when Tommy's back in. Tommy wrote a really good column. Read that in the Washington uh, Washington Times. Barry Zverluga wrote a really good column in the Washington Post. Read that one. Um, Tim Kirchin wrote one. Um, And that's the one that I'm going to just, I I, want to read one paragraph. I heard him tell this story on SportsCenter last night. And then uh, I read it in his column on Frank Robinson. The thing that struck me is that I mean, I personally don't really remember Frank Robinson's career. I mean, I remember some of those Orioles teams being really good in the 70s, but my my real first baseball memories, um, and I, I was, a, you know, I, my father, I was very young, but I do vaguely remember being taken to RFK Stadium to see the Senators play, but I was super young. 
But my first real baseball memories are of the Oakland A's and their dominance for three years in the mid-70s. Um, but the the respect and the way Frank Robinson was revered was so interesting yesterday to hear everybody. It was so genuine, at least that was my impression, of how much this man was respected and liked by not only baseball people, but the media people who covered him. Um, they were really, uh, this, this one hurt. And, you know, Tommy wrote a column and it's a really good column. And Tommy rarely mentions to me, like he'll always email me his columns and I read them most of the time, but he rarely will say, Hey, you read my column on Frank Robinson. But I can tell that he was touched by this as well. But Kirchin had a, a paragraph, uh, in his story. And he told this story last night that I thought was um, really interesting. It was when he was the manager, when he took over for Cal Ripken Sr. in 1988 as the manager of the Orioles, they were already at that point 0-6 on their way to the historic 0-21 uh, start in 1988. And when they got to 0-18, um, they were on the road in Minneapolis, and Frank Robinson took the beat writers out to dinner after the game, and Tim Kirchin was one of them. He was covering the Orioles at the time, and Kirchin asked him if he had received any calls of support from anyone of interest during this tough time. And Frank Robinson said, yeah, the president called me today. And Kirchin writes that, that Frank Robinson was very much a kidder, and he responded with, no, seriously, has anyone interesting called you? And Frank Robinson said, the president. And Kirchin said, I challenged him again. And finally, he yelled at me over dinner, damn it, I just told you twice, the president of the United States called me today. And so Kirchin wrote, he said, well, what did the president say? Now, in 1988, you know, in the spring of 88, Reagan was the president because the election came in November of 88 when Bush beat Dukakis in the 88 election, right? Bush Dukakis, yes. yeah, in 88. So Reagan was the president. So, the Ra- so Ronald Reagan picked up the phone and called Frank Robinson during this 0-18 start to ask how he was doing. And Kirchin said, what, what, did he, what else did he say? And he said, Frank, Reagan's saying to Frank Robinson, Frank, I, I know what you're going through. And Frank Robinson's response was, Mr. President, you have no idea what I'm going through. <laughs> that, Close quote. I mean, that sounds like it. Um, so there's some other good stories that all of these people have written on Frank Robinson. I know and, and realize what a great player Uh, He was and how Cincinnati Reds fans regret that trade more than any other. Um, But uh, we'll we'll go into it in more um, lengthy detail when Tommy's here on Tuesday. There is one thing I want to bring up that it, it struck me yesterday when I was thinking about it. Frank Robinson has statues in Cincinnati, in Baltimore, and in Cleveland, yeah. and is part of the Washington Ring of Honor. Is there any athlete who's held in, who's had such a connection to multiple cities, like as many that, cities as that, that was a big part of Tommy's column? Is that you know there are these statues built in three different locations for him? I, 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 the answer, it must be no. I mean, I can't imagine that it's yes. Um, but uh, it was, you know, I remember that first Nat season at RFK when they started off 50 and 32 yep. they were in first place with Frank Robinson managing um the uh the, the club in that first year uh, and he was he was an interesting guy certainly and for those that covered him during those 
four seasons, right? How many? No, how, th- I think he only had two. Three. Oh, was it two seasons? Yeah, two I, seasons I, I think total. Manny Acta took over in 2007. Manny, right. Um, so for those two seasons in D.C., those that got a chance to cover him for the first time, they also feel the same way. Uh, so we'll go into to more detail on that uh, with Tommy. I know he'll have a lot to say on Tuesday. Um, also wanted to mention real quickly before I get to another subject um, uh, is that Todd McShay, who came out with his 2.0 draft, mock draft, uh, had the Redskins taking a wide receiver um, at 18 overall, the, the wide receiver from Oklahoma, Brown from, from Oklahoma. Um, in comparing Kyler Murray to previous uh, quarterbacks that were smaller, um, he said, quote, I think he's the most explosive quarterback we've seen in the draft since Michael Vick, closed quote. Um you know, it's look. I don't know how much. I, I actually, I do. I, I have a sense that many teams pay attention to the Kuipers and the McShays of the world. Believe it or not, they do. I mean, I think Charlie Casserly was the one that told me years ago that at a at a minimum, they pay attention to all of these mock drafts, especially the people they respect, to get a sense as to what other teams might be thinking. That's at a bare minimum, but. You know, some of these teams actually do rely sometimes on evaluations from some of these guys that live the draft, you know, 24-7, 365 days a year. And that is a, um, that is a, uh, that's quite a statement to say that he's the most explosive quarterback we've seen in the draft since Michael Vick. RG3 was an explosive quarterback, you know, and there were Vick comparisons with RG3. When anybody makes these Michael Vick athlete comparisons, explosive quarterback comparisons, it usually leads to whether or not that particular comparison includes a quarterback that can throw it better and more accurately than Michael Vick. Because that was always the problem. Not that Vick didn't have a big arm, like Griffin had. Griffin's got a big arm, but that he just wasn't consistent with his accuracy in the pocket. Um, and Kyler Murray, uh, you know, McShay says, uh, you know, basically that it's not just the speed and the vision and the explosiveness and the big arm, um, but that he's a, uh, that he's a more refined passer than Vic was coming out of college. Now he's smaller than Vic. Kyler Murray may be at least two to three inches smaller than Vic, who was for his career, I believe, I didn't look this up, this, uh, but I think he was listed at six feet throughout, throughout his career, wasn't he? I, I, he was never a five foot 11 list, you know, no. roster. Yeah, I'm pretty height. sure it was six. Yeah, six feet. Here it is. Uh, always listed at six feet in the NFL. Kyler Murray is going to be listed as, you know, if it's a program height, it's going to be 5'10", 5'11". It's going to be Flutie-esque. It's not going to be Vic. Um, but that will get the attention of some. It'll certainly get the attention of fans. And for Redskin fans, you know, if you think that Kyler Murray's the next Michael Vick, then that's going to, you know, that's going to launch the conversation that we've sort of had already, but we'll have more times heading towards the draft as to whether or not you'd be fine if the Redskins traded up, if they gave up future picks to move up to draft Kyler Murray. Uh, anyway. Um, more explosive than Vic, uh, and Vic's weakness again. Most people would say, and I personally, I always thought Michael Vic was fine throwing the football. Uh, he had a big arm, 
a big arm. Um, and he always looked good as a lefty, as Tommy was talking about yesterday. All right, I wanted to get to, to something else, and that is that this weekend could be um, described as the beginning for many people, the beginning of college basketball season. This is something that I love. Aaron loves it too. We love college basketball, not just Maryland, um, but we love college basketball. And college basketball's popularity um, in recent years, and really probably for 10 to 15 years, somewhere in that you know, area, you know, certainly the late 2000s until now, um, the popularity of the sport has waned. Um, it's not nearly as popular as it used to be. Now, there are lots of reasons for that. Um, number one is... Uh, that you, you know, you just don't have a chance to, you know, it's, it's the same argument that's always been there, but it's just been so much more pronounced in that there are so many players and the best players when you get to the tournament tend to be there. You don't know who they are until you get to the tournament and then they're gone. You know, the one and doneers. uh, they're just, there's too much. The stars in the sport are the coaches in college basketball. They're not the players. And at one point, you know, and you've got to go back many years, it was the players. You know, the players you got to know over the course of at least two or three years before they jumped. And now it's, you know, it's the best players are, you know, already on the mock draft board um, when they sign, you know, for the one year that they're going to play in college. That's certainly impacted it. The, The popularity of the NBA, the rise in popularity of the NBA during the LeBron era has definitely impacted college basketball. And the NFL, not that it hasn't always been the most popular sport in the country, but the fact that the off season, the Super Bowl now, you know, there, there was a time where the Super Bowl was in late January. Now we're into the first week in February. And once that ends, we're counting down towards the Indy Combine and free agency and the draft. I mean, there's so much talk about the draft now, and it didn't used to be that way. And college basketball, the bulk of their season, remember, you know, is, you know, side by side with the NFL's season. You know, they start in November. They start in mid-November, early to mid-November, and they play a significant portion of their schedule during football season. That does not help the sport at all. It hurts the sport a lot. But in recent years, basically, this has become, really, for all intents and purposes, a one-month-of-the-year sport. I'm pushing it to two months here by saying that college basketball starts this weekend. And I say that it starts this weekend because... The Super Bowl was last weekend. There's no Pro Bowl Sunday, thankfully. Thankfully, they got that out of the way last weekend. The Pro Bowl used to be the week after the Super Bowl. Um, you've got this whole NBA drama of the trade deadline that we've you know, now gone through. We don't have to talk about that anymore. And the NBA is still at that portion of their schedule in early February where most people aren't paying attention. It's a, It, too, in many ways is a playoff sport, although it's much more popular in the regular season than it ever was before. Um, but college basketball basically for many people starts right about now. The majority of people who enjoy college basketball are just starting to pay attention now that football's over. And, you know, I'm going to tell you a couple of things about what you've missed <laughs> here during the season. Um, you have missed, uh, if, if I, I, it'd be hard to think that they missed Duke. Like the one thing that this right. year has had, the one thing that this particular season has, that it's had before 
people started to pay attention. It's had Zion Williamson and the Duke freshman. Well, they, they might have missed that there are people besides Zion Williamson on that team. Yes, like Cam Reddish and R.J. Barrett right. and other players that are going to go in the top five of the NBA draft in June. But the interesting thing about Duke, if you watch them play early in the season – um, which many people did um, when they played um, some big games early in the season, right around Thanksgiving, Maui that, Invitational, the, yep. the, the Maui the Maui tournament, and people were paying attention because people were going nuts over how good they were, and people were talking about, wow, this may be the best team we've ever seen. It's another, you know, comparable to a Fab Five situation or better. I mean, how are who's going to beat them? Because they opened up by smashing Kentucky, and then they got to Maui, and there were you know a couple of close games, and then they lost. They lost to Gonzaga, and it's like okay, well they lost once. Well they've lost twice now, and they've had close calls. They lost at home to Syracuse, and they've had other close calls along the way, including a game against Virginia a few weeks back um, in Durham that went down to the wire, and they play Virginia tomorrow night at U-Haul. It's number number two against number three. So you start the college basketball season, for many of you, this weekend with a massive showdown game tomorrow night, 6 o'clock, John Paul Jones Arena in Charlottesville. Uh, it, now, they may not have Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome got hurt. And if you've, you're you wondering what Virginia's been doing during the course of the season, they've been ranked anywhere from 1 to 5 all season long after their stunning first-round upset last year to UMBC. UMBC does not appear right now to be a tournament team. Uh, I, they didn't appear to be a tournament team no, this time last year, um, too. But I, I don't know that Virginia will end up getting uh, matched up with UMBC again. But Virginia, Virginia's incredible again. I mean, maybe better than they've been. Um, they have uh, multiple players on Virginia's team. You know, the, the discussion about Virginia not having NBA talent, not having great athleticism, it's more of a system that Tony Bennett runs. Uh-uh. All right? Ty Jerome, Kyle Guy, and DeAndre Hunter all look like next-level players. DeAndre Hunter is more likely than not a lottery pick as a sophomore. He is quite a player, and he was the player that they were missing when they played UMBC because he got injured in the ACC tournament. And so he wasn't in that game against UMBC when they lost in the first round. DeAndre Hunter is a star. He's a star player. So, you know, here's essentially what you've missed so far. If you really haven't been paying attention, you've missed out on the Duke freshmen. They are a show. They're entertaining, but they're not unbeatable. They are beatable in a one-and-done. I, I would not pencil Duke into the NCAA Final Four or title game. They're going to be a favorite to get to, to, to the Final Four, and right now they and Virginia look like number one seeds. All right, Both of them, more likely than not, will end up being number one seeds, one in the East, one in the West or Midwest potentially, because Tennessee is the number one team in the country. And that would probably be the biggest surprise to anybody just tuning in to this college basketball season. Rick Barnes has always been one of my favorite coaches. You know, he was an assistant for Gary Williams when Gary was at Ohio State. Uh, and then, you know, ACC fans know him from his years at Clemson, and then he was at Texas, and now he's at Tennessee. And somebody said this to me the other day. It was Jimmy Patsos. Jimmy Patsos said, said Rick Barnes is a great coach, and he's also been incredibly smart because what he's done is he's basically coached at football schools where he's been under the radar, no pressure, but he's won. Um, he's been to a Final Four. He took Texas to a Final Four. That was the year Syracuse won it. Uh, and uh, Syracuse beat Kansas in that final, right? 
Um, I think Syracuse beat Texas and Kansas beat Marquette. Was that the uh, Final Four matchup that year? I think. Sounds right. The year that Carmelo won it with Syracuse. Yeah. Um, that's the only Final Four I believe he's been to. He's been to a bunch of Elite Eights with Texas, and he's a hell of a coach. But he's got Tennessee right now ranked number one in the country. Now, they have not played Kentucky yet, and they still have Kentucky twice. And Kentucky has been... Uh, a t- they they were the team that got blown out by Duke early, and then all of a sudden, over the last month, they have gotten it together, and they are annihilating people. Good teams in the SEC, like Mississippi State. They beat Kansas in that SEC Big 12 thing. Um, they, they beat, crushed South Carolina the other night, and they've got massive games, two of them. First at Rupp uh, next weekend against Tennessee, and then I think either the final regular season weekend of the year or perhaps the next to last week of the season, they will play at Tennessee. But Tennessee is the number one team in the country. You probably didn't know that if you're just paying attention. And they have a player in Grant Williams who is right now among the players that are player of the year worthy. And it, and I mentioned this guy uh, a couple of weeks ago after a game he had against Vanderbilt where he went 23 of 23 from the free throw line in a 43-point uh, uh, output uh, in an overtime win against Vanderbilt. But if you remember the way Dantley played, Grant Williams reminds me of Adrian Dantley. He is an old-school player, but he's great in – Tennessee has a legit shot, a legit shot to get to the Final Four. They are that good, but so is Kentucky. So right now, the ACC with Duke and Virginia and the SEC with Tennessee and Kentucky may have the four best teams in the country. All right? That's why people early in the year said about the Big Ten, the Big Ten may be the best conference top to bottom, but they don't have as many championship contenders as the ACC does with Duke and Virginia. And I would put North Carolina into that category as well. All of a sudden, the heels are starting to play very well. They're a young team. They're starting to come together, and they've been, you know, no team runs like they do. No team scores like they do. Um, I mean, there are a couple uh, in the country that do it, but um, they're dangerous as well. But the Big Ten top to bottom may be the best league in the country. They may end up with the most teams in the tournament. I would guess eight or nine when all is said and done. At one point, it looked like they could have 10, but they're beating up on each other. Um, and, you know, in terms of, of of other teams to keep an eye out on, the Big East is crazy. You got Marquette and Villanova at the top of that league, and they play each other this weekend. All right, Marquette is home to Villanova. They get Villanova twice. That, that th- Those two games will decide the Big East title. Is Villanova a contender again? Absolutely. They started off slowly. Uh, they they got blown out by Michigan early in the year. Um, they lost. Uh, I, I think they lost um, a game in, in in a Big Five showdown. Was it Penn or Drexel that beat them? Somebody in that Big Five Philadelphia group beat uh, beat Nova early. But well, I th- think Penn won all their Big Five games. Well, then that then yeah. it was Penn more yeah. likely than not. Um, but they've been rolling in a Big East that's top heavy. I think Georgetown's a decent team. Um, but it'll come down to Marquette or Villanova. Uh, back to the Big Ten for a moment. Michigan State appeared to be a national championship contender a few weeks ago, and now they've lost three straight games. They also lost a key player, uh, but they are still very good. Uh, Purdue is very good. Michigan is very good. And yes, we've said this, and it's not you know just it's not delusional you know home 
town, you know, favorite team, rose-colored glasses talk, Maryland is a dangerous team uh, in March. They should be. They have plenty of talent. They have two big guys who are more likely than not. Uh, Bruno Fernando is probably a lottery pick. Jalen Smith could be a first-round pick. I think he'll come back for another year. I think he should. Um, they've got a lot of NBA talent on their team. They've got a point guard who's legit. Maryland's one of those teams that when you get to Selection Sunday, all of the pundits will be saying, watch out for Maryland. They're a team that could win two, three, four games and make a deep run uh, in the tournament. They are talented enough to do it. I know, and I can feel it right now. Many of you shaking your head saying, nope, nope. Turgeon, nope. <laughs> Coaching, I, I, I can hear, I can feel it. But th- this is his best team. And, you know, draw will have a lot to do with it. The way they play down the stretch will have a lot to do with it. But they've, they've got a chance. Gonzaga's good again. Nevada's good. Um, I personally think a lot about Kentucky and North Carolina right now as teams who are outside the top five as we speak that will be very dangerous when we get to March. Uh, and Michigan State, to me, is all, always a team that by the time we get to March will be a tough out as well. But this weekend is really when, you know, I don't know what they can do about it. There have been so many discussions about, you know, moving the season up, starting the December, uh, season in December and ending it in April or May. Y- here's what you can't do. You can't pu- push it up so far that all of a sudden you're competing against the NBA playoffs. Well, not just that, but then players are also starting to think more about the draft than their team. Yeah, I, the season's going to stay where it is. Um, it, it is what it is. This is a sport in which if you love college basketball, you're paying attention. If you're just a sports fan, you're not paying attention until right about now uh, and this particular uh, weekend. It's a good weekend, too. I mean, if you're going to pick a weekend between Duke, Virginia, Villanova, Marquette, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Wisconsin, Michigan, like there's a lot of good games this weekend. Wisconsin plays Michigan. Wisconsin's already beaten Michigan once. They were the first team to beat Michigan. Um, and and you mentioned it, Villanova, Marquette, uh, and Duke, Virginia on Saturday night. Uh, that one is, you know, there's an injury there. It's going to be really important for uh, Ty Jerome. Uh, to be available for that one, he was uh, he's he's crucial uh, to to their hopes of beating Duke and winning an ACC regular season championship. And why is that important? I'm going to mention it right now because when we get to the tournament, the East Regional is in Washington. So I guarantee you that Virginia and Duke both want to be in DC for that Sweet 16 and Elite Eight weekend. Uh, huge advantage. The other locations are Louisville for the South, Kansas City for the Midwest, and Anaheim out West. And so the ACC runner-up is more likely than not going to be shipped somewhere else as a number one seed potentially. But there would be a big advantage to Virginia or Duke playing in D.C. unless, unless of course, they're playing Maryland in a Sweet 16 game, which I would hope would happen. And then it would be a Maryland home crowd and a dominant one at that. But Duke has always drawn well in Washington, and Virginia will draw well if they get to a Sweet 16 game uh, in Washington. All right, there's my college basketball thing. Enjoy it. It's There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of interesting storylines. A lot of really good teams should uh, create a really good march. There's not a single team, in my view, that is a prohibitive favorite. Um, none of those teams are locks to be in the Final Four. I would be surprised personally if this isn't the year for Virginia, if they're healthy. 
I would be surprised, too, if either Tennessee or Kentucky, one of those two, isn't in the Final Four. I think they're both exceptional teams. I'm looking forward to those two games over the next month as much as any other not involving uh, my team. Uh, All right, let me tell you about uh, Farish Chrysler Dodge Jeep in Fairfax. If you're thinking about something new, uh, call Farish or go out to Farish or go to their website, farishcars.com, where you will see all of their inventory with live pricing uh, and their best deals as well. They've got plenty of inventory on the lot right now. Very good uh, rebates, some of the best they've had all year long, specifically on the Jeep Cherokee, the Grand Cherokee, and the Wrangler, uh, the Ram pickup as well. Ask for Ralph Perkins. He's the best. He runs the dealership. He's a good friend. They will take good care of you. If you're thinking about something new for you or for your wife or husband or for one of your kids, all right, I mean – a lot of Doc Walker, as an example, I mean, once his kids, he's got three boys. Once they turn 16, they got brand new cars. Some of you have those means. If you're able to pull it off uh, and you're looking for like a, a Jeep Grand Cherokee, something like that, head out to Farish. Uh, they'll give you a great deal and talk to Ralph Perkins. All right, let's bring in Andy Poland. It's Friday. Um, Andy and I uh, enjoy these conversations. Even with football season over, I actually just talked about how college basketball for so many people starts this weekend. You know, it's really become, it's not what it was and it's not what it used to be when people paid attention to it year round. And, you know, they may have watched the Duke game here or there with Zion Williamson, but, you know, now now that the Super Bowl's over and the NBA trade deadline shenanigans are, are over, you know, they're starting to pay attention to it. And it's actually a, a pretty damn good college basketball season. Um, right now. But anyway, um, I digress because I know you want to talk about what happened um, uh, exactly 11 years ago to the day this weekend. Yeah, I think you were there for this news conference. I were was. You not? I was there. Yeah. I was anchoring the coverage of this at 980, and I remember this was on a Sunday. And it was Sunday, February the 10th, which is what it reaches this year again. And I was driving the night before to a Maryland basketball game with my son, Jeremy, and listening to the radio. And there was a report, uh, actually it had been confirmed at that point, that the Redskins had hired Jim Zorn as head coach. And I said loudly in the car, head coach? Really? (laughs) I was was stunned by that. And uh, sure enough, there was, uh, I don't know, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 o'clock, whatever it was. And uh, they said, could you come into the station and uh, anchor the coverage? So uh, I set it up, you know, here Joe Gibbs had retired and they had been waiting for the Super Bowl to end so that they could interview Steve Spagnola, who was the defensive coordinator for the Giants. And when he turned him down, he was wondering where they would go. And I was as stunned as anybody that it was going to be Jim Zorn. So I listened to the news conference. And the thing that still sticks out to this day, even though it's a relatively minor thing, is he pointed out that he had had his kids there all decked out in redskin colors, maroon and black. And Snyder <clears throat> interjects from the sideline saying, and yellow. Yeah, and, and yellow. <laughs> I know. God, yeah. that was so... Uh, uh, keep going, because I, I have a story that I want to share about being out there that day with Bram Weinstein that is always one of my favorites to tell. But it just, the whole thing was just, who? Jim Z- And remember, they, they effed the whole thing up by hiring him as the offensive coordinator before hiring the head coach. 
Well, as as was later revealed, I'll, I'll back up in, in just a second. But but after the news conference was over, that's what I started with. I didn't blast him because I didn't know you know right away how bad it was going to be. But I said, that's not really getting off to a flying start when you don't even know the redskin colors. That's 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 a bad thing yeah. to begin with. And uh, there were just things that he said, you know, about how excited he was for this. He said, I'm I'm really excited about to be the Redskins head football coach. And that is quite miraculous for me to even say today. Well, that's like a pinch me moment. I can't believe Dorothy that we're in Oz here. (laughs) He said, said, uh, it's uh, my hope is to hold the tradition and the fight that the Redskins have always had in high regard. And then Dan Snyder actually talked at this. Now, here's another thing that I remember was that Joe Gibbs was there. But Gibbs was wearing a jacket with an open collar and was sitting next to Dan Snyder's wife. And it just seemed odd. I mean, obviously he was brought in to give the seal of approval, but I don't think old Joe was all in on this. But anyway, he he sat there through it. And Snyder said, we're proud that our search was diligent and resulted in today's announcement. His take was, yes, I know it's February 10th, it's late to be hiring a head coach. We tried to but, hire everybody else. Yeah, but we were very diligent. And if you, you look at companies where you hire CEOs, it's often a lengthy search. He also said, after our first six-hour interview with him, they interviewed him for six hours, yeah. I told Joe Gibbs that this guy would make a terrific head coach. But we stayed true to our commitment to interview every candidate. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, anyway, that's that's and we all know what happened there, though. There was a honeymoon period where yeah. they did start out six, six and, two. and two. Yeah. And he was he was calling plays and he was he was gambling, but they were paying off, like locking up games late by going forward on fourth down. And the running game yeah. was very effective with Clinton Portis. I mean, they had had that's one thing that Gibbs always did. He built up his offensive line and his running game. And Zorn was able to benefit from that until the injuries started to hit. But he also said early on, you know, play calling, that just comes naturally to me. I'm just a natural play caller. And uh, we later found out, no, he really wasn't. <laughs> yeah, there were co- there, there are a couple of things that stand out. First of all, remember that Jim Fossil was very, very co- uh, close to being hired uh, well, as no, the coach. He, he, he went mm-hmm. in, and, and, and what Fossil said is, I'd like to hire Jim Zorn as my offensive coordinator, and I'd like to hire Greg Blotch as my defensive coordinator. So they went ahead and hired those guys before they had their head coach. So, But they, I, I, but they were planning on moving forward with Fossil. But do you remember that they leaked out Fossil as the leading candidate, and there was massive backlash yeah. from fans, you know, whether it was sports talk radio or whatever – the medium was of the day because it wasn't really social media necessarily in, in, in a major way in 2008 as much as it is now anyway. But um, there was backlash, and you know you remember the, the Redskins then were very sensitive to you know fan reaction. Not clearly not as much today um, <clears throat> as they were then. Um, and Fossil was basically eliminated, and you know the Spagnuolo thing and. You know, they had, remember, Jim Morrow was a candidate, I, I believe, yep. and Jim Schwartz and others. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I remember the Fossil thing in particular. And I remember we were, remember when we used to do shows from the car show downtown? 
from the convention yep. center? That's probably the other station. That's when uh, you oh, and I okay. were on a different islands okay. for a while. Okay, so well, I just no because in two thousand eight we were we were we were back together. But anyway, um, no, no, it was it? But it was the summer of two thousand. Oh, right. Okay. This was this was prior to that. Okay, yeah. so that's true. Okay, so we were down at the car show, and the whole fossil thing fell apart. And I just remember, you know, that whole day saying, "Are you really going to react to fan react?" Because all of us had taken all the call segments on Fossil, and nobody wanted them. Nobody no. wanted Fossil. And they backed off to that. So that was one thing I remember. The other is the day that it happened, um, the day that he was hired, Bram and I were doing a show live from Redskins Park before the Zorn press conference and then after the press conference. And you just reminded me Joe Gibbs was there. I remember because we had, we had mm-hmm. Joe on. Um, but pr- during the press conference, after you know the color reference and all of the other ways in which he handled the the, the questions, which by the way it was just unimpressive. You know the the yeah. whole press conference. He just was not a, a very impressive communicator. There was nothing that left you with the thought of wow, they just they just hired the next Gibbs. Yeah. But but we're sitting there listening to it, and Bram writes on a piece of paper and hands it to me, and on the piece of paper. Is two thirteen and one, <laughs> as, if, as if to say that's going to be our record with this guy, <laughs> and I we just both started laughing so hard, and I can remember saying to Gibbs, you know, we we're talking a lot. I mean, we believed anything Joe would tell us back then, yeah. pretty much, but. That was definitely a sketchy hire, and it looked like a hire of desperation because no one else wanted the job. Fossil would have taken it, but they backed off. And this, more than anything, is what I've been told in recent years is what really made Dan move on from Vinny. Dan still loved Vinny when he fired him in two thousand in, in late 2009. Still loved him. Mm-hmm personally as a friend but he just the, the whole the fact that Vinny convinced Dan that Zorn was more than an offensive coordinator and could be a head coach when he was clearly not cut out to be a head coach probably not even cut out to be an offensive coordinator given that he never got that opportunity anywhere else am I right about that I'm pretty sure I'm well, right about that well recognize you mentioned the name Jim Mora who was in line to be the next head coach in Seattle because Mike Holmgren was retiring yeah and and Holmgren's last Last year, Mora told Zorn, you better look for another job because when I become head coach, right, you're I'm out. not even keeping you around as a quarterback's coach. Yeah. So it, he, he wasn't even going to keep the lower position in Seattle, and that's why he was open to the idea of looking elsewhere. And they said, offensive coordinator, great. But they hired him before they hired the head coach. Who was going to have him as his offensive coordinator? <laughs> my, other, my other favorite story, and I, I'll paraphrase it, but Tommy's told it many times, and he's probably told it to you as well. Tommy happened to have been out at the park <laughs> the day that Zorn got the call to go home yeah. get a suit on and get to Snyder's house because he was going to interview for the head coaching position and he was on the phone with his wife and Tommy overheard the conversation and he heard him saying to his wife no 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 honey no the head coach I'm going to interview for the head coach <laughs> she was clearly shocked that anybody would interview him for the head coaching position you know the other thing too is when it got late in that final year in 2009 and it was clear that he was not going to return and we had 
you know, uh, him, you know, saying that he would comply with yep. the uh, with the bingo caller, you know, being brought on board. Sherman Smith. Sherman yep. Smith being brought on board, which, by the way, prompted one of the funniest, you know, Vinny Serrato uh, uh, sound bites of all time when they asked what Sherman Smith had been doing, and he he said, "I I, I don't really know, but I I know that." I know that his 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 uncle is the the offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan, and it was like what, like who cares what his uncle may not have been his I uncle think it was his brother. son son yeah his son, son. Yeah. his son's the offensive coordinator at Eastern Michigan. He had no idea what Sherman Smith had been doing. Had no idea that he had been calling bingo games at his senior home. Uh, I as, as his, no, I, I thought he actually said that. I thought, or maybe Sherman Smith was said that when he came came on. Yeah, no, v- Vinny in that initial conference call didn't know much. But yeah. um, well, there, but, but but one more one more thing though, yeah. to put it in the correct order, he, he didn't have to comply for Smith to come on as a as a consultant. But he was asked about a week in, well, what do you think of of Sherman Smith? And he said, "This is Orn. Bless his heart, he doesn't even know who's on the roster." <laughs> right. Then they had that disastrous game with Kansas City, mm-hmm. and Vinny Serrato came to him in an attempt to make him quit, and he said, "Smith is going to call the plays." And Zorn said, I was told that Smith was going to call the plays, and I complied. That right. was how that was put. Well, the, in, you know, during that whole – so uh, what was the day – so you're saying that he they hired Sherman Lewis uh, – it was Sherman Lewis, right? Sherman Lewis, yes. Sherman yeah, Smith we, we keep saying Sher- Sherman yeah. Smith. Sher- Sher- yeah. When they hired Sherman Lewis, that was before the Kansas City game? It was that early in the season? Oh, he yeah, he was he was he was around like he was he was getting the okay. lay of the land for a couple of weeks, right. and 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 it was never said, oh, this is the guy who's going to call plays, and nobody would have expected it because he'd been calling bingo at the senior center yeah. for years. Yeah, um, the uh, the one thing that I remember about that particular year, Tommy and I were doing the coaches show, you know, as part of the sports fix, and so we were out there every Tuesday to do the coaches show with Jim Zorn and. I've told this story many times, and I think I've told it to you many times, but he was, you know, he couldn't have been nicer. But to illustrate just how disengaged from the day-to-day he had become by the time we got into mid-2009, after our 30-minute, you know, and it would be 20 minutes, whatever it would be, segment with him on the Mm -hmm. coach's show, he wouldn't leave. He stayed and listened to the rest of the show each over the final like half of the season, and it was really it was hysterical because we'd say you know thanks coach for joining us we'll catch up next week good luck against the Cowboys this weekend or whatever oh thanks guys for for having me whatever and then he'd just sit there and you know we were doing the show from the studio out at the park and and during the break we would talk and then he'd put on he'd keep the headphones on and he wanted to listen to the show. And oh, then, yeah. and then, and then during each break, he would ask questions about what we had just talked about, you know, during the show. He was like, oh, wow, wow, that's really interesting what you guys were talking about there. There was, there, it's not an exaggeration, and Tommy will back me up on it. There were days where, you know, we would do that coach's show, you know, our show was 12 to 2 every day, and we would do that yep. coach's show, I think, at 12, like right at the beginning of the show. And sometimes we'd say, all right, see you later at 1225. And he would sit there for another hour. No exaggeration. Like he's the head coach of a football team and he's sitting there listening to sports talk radio in on this set. And, And the one thing I remember saying to Tommy, there is no way he's going to quit. 
There's no way because he had never, ever made that kind of money before. And if no. he had quit, he would have given up the money. And, you know, the wife that, that said to that, that Tommy overheard said the head coach you're, you're interviewing for <laughs> was probably telling him, I don't care how embarrassing this is for you. You are not quitting. You are collecting every cent of that contract. Because yeah. really, Zorn had never made, until the Redskins hired him to be their head coach, a significant you know, amount of money. I mean, relative to you know, head coaching money. Um, not only that, I, I, I've, I've been told he did not have an agent. And why would he if you're a you know, quarterback's coach? So he negotiated the deal himself, which I believe was three years Three million a year. Yeah, that's, when, and the, that's the number. I think that's about right, and I think that last year was um, was that a team option for the last year? I forget whether or not it might was have been. Or yeah, not. so he might have he might have not gotten even that third year, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. I it, mean, it's 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 just remarkable. And he and as you say, a, a nice guy, but totally naive. And and remember, I think there's a soundbite that Dave still plays where he talks about Chris Cooley's ankle surgery that oh, he yeah. got to watch. Yeah, yeah. the sesame. <laughs> Well, and, and the, the sesamoid bone. Yeah, it was. <laughs> he went and watched Cooley's surgery. Watched it. He was so fascinated, and he watched it. Remember too that he went on bike rides with George Bush. The oh, yeah, they were buddies. Yeah, yeah, they were they were buds. Yeah, well, he's in great shape. He was always he was always. Uh... And, and, you know, I enjoyed watching him play quarterback, too. He was oh, yeah. Pretty decent quarterback well, Tom, back in the day. Tommy's be favorite line about him is he'd make a great neighbor. Yep. You know, that Jim yep. Zorn was a nice guy. He'd make a great neighbor. He just was not much of a head coach, um, as it turned out. Uh, but anyway, things haven't improved, have not improved <laughs> that much uh, since – since he's gone, so there you go. All right, uh, another anniversary date. Why not? Uh, that, yeah. th this would this would have been um, well. We're, we're we probably just passed. No, they would have been 2010. It would have been early 2010 that he was fired. So next year will be the 10 year anniversary of him being fired in early January. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, it so, was January. They got off the plane. From San Diego, they played the Chargers in a game that the Chargers were resting everybody because oh, yeah. they were in the playoffs, yeah. and they still lost. And by the time the plane hit the ground, he was fired. Though I've asked Cooley about this, and he said, getting on the plane, they knew this was going to be his last ride. I mean, it was not a shock when he was fired once they got off. Right. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Have a good weekend. You too. All right, thanks, Dandy. Uh, that was such an interesting time, the Jim Zorn. That season was weird. I just remember Tommy and I just looking at each other with this, is he going to leave? And he could, could you talk about Redskins when he was in the room? Oh, yeah, we did. And, and we, I, I remember multiple conversations, and I can't remember the specifics of them necessarily, but having multiple conversations about other sports, about other teams. And he was a very interested guy. Like, he was curious, always asking questions. And, like, we would get to the break, and he we'd have a quick conversation. And he would, you know, and then he'd put the headphones back on and listen to the next segment. And it was like, I, I remember, think, I think I said to him jokingly many times, I'd be like, don't you have something to go something to to go do? And he'd say, "Well, yeah, no, I got to get to some things." But it, and 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 there was one instance in which he said, "If you want me to leave, I'll leave." I'll say, "No, we we enjoy your company. It's feel free to stay as long as you want." But 
It was odd. Um, and once they brought in uh, the bingo caller, Sherm Lewis, not Sherm Smith, Sherm Lewis. Sherm Smith was the running backs coach. Right. Um, uh, it, that, it just got really, really, really strange in that organization. And they did. They wanted him to quit. They wanted him to quit. They wanted to take. They didn't want to pay him the rest of the money, but there was no way that uh, he was going to quit and give up that money. Um, anyway, uh, all right, that's the show for today. All right, enjoy the weekend. A lot of college hoops over the weekend. No football unless you're betting the AAF, like Aaron. Uh, good luck with that, by the way. <laughs> um, and I'm sure you'll. I'm, I'm sure you've got you know the odds in your favor. I'm sure this is probably another opportunity to take the man down. Actually, this might be an opportunity to I take the man say, down. If, if you can actually figure it out, I would. You know what? I w- would not doubt. I would not doubt if there are limits on some of these games sure. with with some of their sharper betters uh, offshore and in Vegas. I will not be betting the AAF this weekend. I won't. Um, anyway, have a good weekend, everybody.